Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Throw me the ball and watch what I do with it. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of your favorite college baseball podcast, Believe in College Baseball, with your hosts, Alan Stiles and Orlando Razo. If you're listening to us, you're probably listening on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, or Luminary. But if you didn't know, you can listen on all those platforms. Now you know. While you're there, please be sure to rate us. Give us five stars if you like us. If you don't like us, don't give us five stars. But at least let us know why. Orlando, how's it going? How have you been? Tell the good people what we have planned today. I'm doing well. Uh, thank you for asking. I'm, I'm back in quarantine because uh, if, you, if you've watched the news, Arizona, uh, we have been once again, you know, ravaged by uh, COVID-19. So I, I'm actually quarantining again, but I'm doing well, making the most of it. We do have a special, 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 special guest today. Poseidon is uh, Poseidon shining her bosom upon us today. Um, I've shared quarters with this man. He is one of the actual best pitchers in the minor leagues. That's an undisputable fact. And he is a member of the Mariners taxi squad. I don't want to jinx him and say he is going to get some big league experience, but I'm going to say he should get some big league experience this year. Uh, very special guest, fellow Bay Area kid, Sam Delaplane. Sam, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your extremely busy taxi squad day uh, to join us. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Well, let's, uh, let's get right into it. You know, Obviously, we're the same draft class with the Mariners. It was, uh, it was pretty evident, honestly, early on, all of us playing together in the AZL, um, that you were a little bit different, uh, despite being somewhat shorter than me. Um, but it was pretty evident early on that your stuff was different. You struck out everyone. Um, you know, other people didn't strike out everyone. So let's talk about you know, right now we'll get into to your transition, but let's talk about right now. Um, you are with the taxi squad with the Mariners. Congratulations, first of all. Talk about how that's been, you know, not just your first experience, you know, with big league clubs. You know, I know you were in big league camp, but you're around humans again. You know, you're, in, you're with a team, you're in a locker room. So go into that and just uh, briefly talk about how that's been so far, your experience. Yeah, I appreciate the kind words, quite the introduction there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been great to be around, you know, people again. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely way different this time, you know, compared to the original camp, obviously, with all the rules. But um, one thing I will say to start off is the way that the Mariners were doing stuff. It feels incredibly safe. I have, you know, no doubts or worries that, um, you know, that I'm going to get it with the way we're doing stuff. Guys are taking it very seriously. We have like sanitizing 
sanitizing stations everywhere. Everyone's wearing their mask all the time. Um, the locker room, they're using both locker rooms. There's plenty of space. But, you know, there's little things you do miss, you know, like can't really high five a guy or stuff like that. Like even like when you're talking, you no, know, there's cameras on us at all times, like during the practices. So like, and people are watching. So we got to make sure we're six feet for our own safety also so we don't break any rules. And, you know, things, it's a little different. Like you go to the mound, you got to bring your own rosin bag now. Um, I have to bring my own baseballs to throw. Um, there's no water on the field. You got to bring your own water. There's no water cups, like anything like that. Um, like we're doing drills every time you throw a ball, like it's a brand new ball every single time. Like the same ball's not getting reused. Um, what else? Yeah, I mean. I mean, see, this, this, is, this, is, this is great. This is great, like valuable information in and of itself. Like, so I was a big spanker on the field. Could, can you spank anyone right now? Uh, like just telling them good job. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't see that like in the rule book at all. So I'm going to say it doesn't say it's prohibited. It probably just frowned upon. Maybe, so, with, your yeah. glove, maybe with your glove hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just take your glove. Like everybody, I mean, you got Kyle Seediger is playing third base, taking ABs with his mask on. D Gordon's doing the same thing. Like we're taking it serious. I mean, guy, it's, it's when you look at it, it's bigger than you. Like for me, I'm here alone. Don't have that much to worry about besides myself, but you know, I have to worry about myself because what if I give it to, you know, I'm in the same locker room as them right now, like the Kyle Seeger, the D Gordon who have kids, you know, I accidentally give it to them because I'm not doing what I need to do. And then they give it to their kids. I'd never be able to live with myself if that happened. So it's really, it's, it's more than just yourself, you know? Yeah. Well said. I get my question is, and you touched on it with people taking ground balls with their masks on. I, I'm sure you've seen, I think it was Mike Trout's mom who said, if Mike Trout can run the bases with the mask on, you can go to the grocery store. And there've been, you know, clips of LeBron shooting around with the mask on. I'm, I'm wondering though, because in, even in normal life, I guess you're putting it on to be in the grocery store because they're making you. But if I go on a walk, I'm not necessarily wearing one or I'm putting it on, taking it off, you know, if I see somebody coming. So I guess I'm curious, is any of it, hey, the cameras are around, let's, let's help to show people there's no excuse for you to go to the grocery store. I guess I'm wondering, did Mike Trout really need to be wearing his mask while running the bases when no one is really near him? I guess that's my question. So I'll answer that this way. Um, Mike Trout's wife is pregnant. Very and true. So, very true. So she's very high to get the risk. This is his first child, right? right. So mm -hmm. to me, he's a perfect guy to opt out in a sense because he has so much to lose. He's like, I don't want to come off like we don't care, but like he's got it. He's getting his money. He's got all that. Like nothing's more important than, you know, your, your wife and your, your child, your unborn child, you know, like that's like, that's going to be the biggest event in his life. You know, every single person that I've played with that says they've had a kid are said like, like Tim Lopes right now, his wife's pregnant. And he's like, I've never been more excited for anything in my life ever. So I can't, you know, that's probably what he's going through. And, you know, they've, they've been educating us a lot. Um, we are getting tested every other day. And, you know, with the mask, they say, if you are in contact with somebody without a mask and you're wearing one, it's like, for lack of a better term, it's like wearing a condom. Like you're like 98% nice. safe. Right. Like literally that's the, they showed us the numbers and it's like dead even with that. Like, mm -hmm. and it's really not that hard 
to wear right. a mask. Wear your face condom. If yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like right. you know, if you if you want to watch baseball and if you want to watch football this year, like wear your mask out. You know, all these other. If you want if you want the Niners to win the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, if you want the Niners to win the Super Bowl, put your mask on because Jamie right. G's ready. Oh well, yeah, Raider Love fan that. here. Good luck. I mean, I'm not saying we're we're doing anything. I'm just saying good luck. I, I guess. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Mahomes just signed um, for 25 years, so whatever. Uh, AFC. Good luck with him. Uh, anyway, so basically, I, I want to get into obviously the pitching side and, and how how that has been. Um, you know, you this is you were in big league camp for spring training. Um, but can you go into at least, you know, some of the, the stuff that you've learned just being around veteran guys, you know, I know obviously too, I'm sure this has been a big help. Uh, I would love for you to elaborate on it on on both these things, but having Woody also as your pitching coach. So for the listeners, um, you know, Sam was in double a last year, the double a pitching coach, Pete Woodworth, absolute fucking legend. Um, he is now the big league pitching coach with the Mariners. So Sam has been with him, you know, pretty much throughout. Um, Talk about, you know, how that's been an advantage for you and how, you know, that's made you comfortable this, this transition from, because it is hard, obviously going from the minor leagues to a big league camp. It can be pretty intimidating at times. Um, I'm not sure you were intimidated, but talk about the stuff that you've been able to pick up just being around veteran guys, as well as the benefits of having that same pitching coach being around you. Yeah. So start with Woody. It's really, it's just so comforting. You know, I go into camp and it's like a guy who knows me, he knows what I do. He knows who I am. He knows how my brain works. He knows what I'm trying to do. There's no like relearning process or building a new relationship with the pitching coach. It's like, it's already there. The foundation set. He like, I trust him. He trusts me. So like, that's for me, that's huge. Just that, you know, that like face to face, you know, comfortable with each other factor. And that's, and then, that's, that's the best, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, like just for no. the listeners and for the people not familiar, because he is a new name, like mm-hmm. that's what he does best. Like he coaches the individual to a T, like his, he doesn't treat anyone his, the yeah. same. It's all individualized. His interpersonal skills and ability to relate with you as a person is tremendous. And it makes you very comfortable to play and to pitch for him and to be able to have a, like a real conversation with him and not be intimidated to ask him questions or anything else. And like I said, the most important thing is the trust that you have in him for what he, what he's telling you, you know, he's not BSing. It is like, he's telling you it is what it is. And then, you know, based on going, you know, to the next question, like knowledge, I mean, it's funny because so over um, the quarantine, I was in Zoom, like all these zoom calls were doing zoom calls all the time. And I was in one with all the guys in the big league bullpen and it's funny because everyone articulated, you know, their own way of saying, like, what's your mental game? Like, like, what are you thinking on the mound? And it all comes down to the same thing. Every single guy, if I do what I do best, I'm going to get out. So I'm going to be successful. It was no, there's no magic pill. It's believe in myself, trust myself, attack, and I'm going to be successful. You know, it's not like I'm changing my plan because Alex Bregman or Altuve is in the box or I'm facing Mike Trout. Like, you know, you take a guy like Austin Adams, he's like, yeah, I'm just because Trout's in the box. I'm not going to not throw sliders or, you know, do this or do that. He's going to stick to his game plan and get him out his way, which, you know, he did last year. You know, it's, it's stuff like that, that the game's hard, but they make it 
easier in their mind to them, which allows them to execute more. Yeah, that's, that's something that like, I, I mean, I was just trying to grasp it and it's something that like, I, I, I coached this summer, you know, on, on a collegiate summer team. And that's something that is so hard to get people to understand it. And, and on the player side, it's really hard. It's even harder to understand, but trying to convey that message of just like, Hey, you know, if you just make good pitches, you're just going to get outs. Like that's If you pit, it sounds weird, but if you pitch well, you will do well. It like sounds too make, easy. Right. Exactly. It, it makes it easy. But at the same time, it's kind of like, yeah, like I just have to have trust in myself. That's what the big thing that we're, that you're trying to achieve is just trust in yourself that if you just make the right pitches, you'll get outs. The best pitchers in the big leagues are the most confident. You look at Scherzer, you look at Garrett Cole, you look at, you know, even Marcus Stroman, you know, those guys are just oozing in confidence. That's what they do. Chapman, like, that's what they are. They're not scared of the hitter. They think they're the best on the planet. And that day they might not be like any certain day, but they believe they are and they still get through outings and they're still really good. Like, that's what it is. If you don't trust yourself and trust your stuff, you know, and it's not at the big league level, it's any level, you know, you're not get, you're not going to reach your full potential. And a lot of the times, like, if you're confident in yourself, you'll, you know, you'll pitch past what your actual, you know, like stuff wise potential is. I mean, there's a reason that, and some people will disagree with this, but there's a reason that I think the old saying goes, the hardest thing to do in sports is hit a baseball. You know what I mean? That's just, that's just the bottom line. And there's a reason when you, whenever you hear, Oh, did you know to make the hall of fame in baseball? you can fail seven times out of 10, right? You always hear that. That makes you a 300 hitter. But at the same time, if you're a pitcher, you can look at it like, well, look, he could be a 300 hitter. He's still failing seven times. So as long as he's failing against me, like I'm all right. I still have a better chance of him getting out than getting a hit if I do what I need to do and pitch with confidence and make good pitches. 100%. Couldn't agree more. But I did want to take a pause real quick from this pitcher bromance. Outfielder here, former outfielder here. And I, and I am curious, this is such a part of the game going back to how things are right now. Didn't I hear a rule like no spitting? Like not, not like tobacco, like just spitting, period. No yeah. Spilling either. Yeah, because so the disease is carried through saliva and right. you know, respiratory. So like, yeah, that's a rule. Um, they know it's going to be tough. It's just kind of like if right. you, you know, if, you, if you spit, you're not going to get ejected. But it's like you, you need to make. It's more like make a conscious effort to not like don't. There's a wet rag in the back pocket. Don't lick your fingers. You know, it's just being smart about being. You know, like no sunflower seeds. Like right, you're not right. even supposed to share stuff. Like tomorrow we have our inner squad and guys who aren't like playing. Like they're going to be sitting in the stands. Like not even in the dugout. So like. The spacing's real. I mean, we want to play a season, you know, it's it, this, the thing that's about the disease is it's so contagious that they need to take the measures because, you know, the way the season could get banged and I hope it doesn't knock on wood is, you know, if one team, like let's say 15 guys get it and you have to make enough roster moves for everything, that's, that's where, you know, it's going to hit the fan. I think that kind of leads into another question I had. So what happens I, I'm assuming, do they pick 30 to make, to stay on the roster 
out of the 60 on the taxi roster. And if you don't make it, is this just the definition of stay ready? You know, like where, where do you go? What do you do? Yeah, so we're lucky. So our AAA is in Tacoma, which is like 45 minutes, and even our short season's 45 minutes away in Everett. So, so yeah. the first two weeks, it's a 30-man roster. So everybody else will be in Tacoma. And then after two weeks, it goes to 28. And then August 1st, I think, or like after the two weeks, whatever it is, or no, September. I don't, I'm all backwards on my dates right now. But uh, then it goes to the regular 26-man roster for, you know, the rest of the rest of the year so. There's no September call-ups, obviously, so, um, but that rule changes here anyways at 28 total, so this is kind of better in a sense. But, yeah, so pretty much if you're not there, you're in Tacoma, stay ready. They have a taxi squad that actually travels with the team, so it's three players, and one of them has to be a catcher. Oh. So in case the guy tests positive hey. or something happens. because I they know want- someone that used to be a catcher. I know someone. Uh, that was my next question, actually. Um, you know, before we, we pivot into your, your early college years, um, you know, you were our, our emergency, uh, pinch runner in the AZL, uh, you are emergency guy when we're running low. Have you made that clear to Scott service and, uh, Jerry DePoto that you are ready, you know, when called upon, when needed, uh, you know, a pinch rubber pinch runner, you got some, some extra catchers that have tested positive. Um, have you made that aware to them that you, that you are able to play the field? Absolutely not. And I have no intention to, you know, um, I, yeah, I'm not catching Gerson Bautista throw 99 to 101 or Dan Altavilla throwing 93 mile an hour sliders, you know, not ready for that. You okay. Know, well, we'll make it clear to them. Yeah, absolutely. Like I want nothing to do with that anymore, man. Yeah, that, <laughs> it's so is, hard, dude. <laughs> that is, uh, that will be our job. So we'll make sure we, uh, we relay that message to him. Oh, <laughs> no, sorry. No more. It's days are over. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, I do want to just pivot like now to basically how you got started because on this show, we always have just a bunch of, I don't know, like late rounders slash just kind of just guys, just just a bunch of just some minor league guys, some college guys that that come on and and you know kind of an identity for for this show. Uh, but you you obviously fit that identity. You know, twenty third round out of Eastern Michigan from San Jose. Um, talk about like your recruiting process and and how how that shaped you as a player on and off the field and and obviously your mentality because you know. Eastern Michigan. I know Alan has some questions on that. So we're, we're very curious as to, as to how that kind of came into fruition. Yeah. So I hate the college recruiting process. So I'll go into this long thing. So uh, the first two showcases I did, I faced like 16 guys and I think I struck out like 13 of the 16 and I didn't get one email, nothing, no, nothing. It's probably in this because everyone's like, Oh, he doesn't throw hard enough. That's where I tell my coach. I was like 84 to 86. Then I take like two months off. I drive down to Fresno to try out for that Arizona like fall showcase classic team for Trotsky. I get there early. Um, Nate's comes up to me like one of the pitchers didn't show up. So he needs someone to throw because these hitters, you know, they need to get their AB. So I go, okay. So I warm up, warm up real quickly. Literally, I think I threw like eight pitches in a bullpen, like didn't even do J bands. And I was in the game. I was like, okay, this kind of sucks, but whatever. So that game I faced nine guys. 
Um, I walked eight, the first eight guys in the last batter hit a basis clearing double off me, but I was sitting 88 to 90, hit 90 for the first time. And I'm driving home with my dad from Fresno. I'm, I'm beyond angry. I'm like, man, I suck. Like this sucks. And I'm getting emails, phone calls from all these schools. Tell me I pitched great and I look great today. And I'm sitting, I'm like, did you even like, do you have me confused with somebody else? Like what the hell is going on? Or like, Oh, you were really slinging it today. Like, I was like, well, throw a strike to save my life. Like whatever. So yeah, like that really, I hated that process of it, but so Eastern Michigan, it's funny. So they actually, I went to that Arizona showcase. Um, I was going into my senior year and uh, I made the academic all American game. So if you make that game, every single college that's there, they don't get permission to go to that showcase unless they go to that game. And so Eastern Michigan saw me there and it's funny because I actually pitched on the Mariners big league spring training field in Peoria. That's where they saw me. And so they saw me there, like they saw me there. I threw again Sunday. They, they told me to come out on a recruiting trip on Wednesday was there Wednesday, got back Friday uh, afternoon, committed like two hours after I got back. Wow. Wow. Yep. So, you know, I don't know. There's been some, there is a lot of, back and forth we we don't really know how tall orlando is you know he 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 strikes me as one of those guys that claims six foot i'm not really sure but we talked about it in the pre-show and you alluded to the fact that maybe being undersized was also part of it um i guess what i'm yeah so i guess what i'm interested in is as you know five nine on a good day guy outfielder who was you know kind of fast i didn't have I didn't play pro ball and my thought was the same thing. I think at the end of the day, the, the difference between, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the difference between college ball and pro ball is that pro ball is strictly on what you're able to do versus how you look. Like, I feel like college is a lot of looking the part. If you, if, if I was the same size I am now, but had Tyreek Hill speed, you know, but played baseball, I probably would have gotten a call. It's all about doing one, at least one thing very well versus college is that's also true, but some other, some guys will get a look just because they look the part. Yeah, I I would totally agree. And I totally agree and disagree in a sense. Mm -hmm. A lot of college, they like to project. They like to think, what is this guy going to be when he's a sophomore or a junior versus, you know, like, you know, in the draft, some of them like, okay, this guy projects to be really good. We're going to take him. There's still some of that. But at the same time, if you're really good, like Nick Madrigal, perfect example, five, six, right? Fourth overall. Cause they're like, yeah, he's not big, but this kid's one of the best players in the nation. So why would they not take him? You know? So I think that that factor doesn't like size doesn't matter necessarily. in when you're going to the pro ball, like if you're good, someone's going to take you. If you have a big league tool, you're going to go someone's right. going to give you a chance. So that's, that's really the difference. Like college yeah. coaches, that's kind of how they recruit though. Like, look, we got this tall kid. He came in at 83. And then after two years, I got him up to 95. Like that's part of their recruiting tool. But you know, some yeah. of that is, did you actually do it or did the kid just actually physically mature at the same time? So. Right. And I think the tough part about a magical is because he was so smooth. I mean, we're, we're talking about having these measurables, but obviously his talent is more far than above average because he's that small and still got to Oregon State. 
right? Yeah. Oregon State, yeah. So um, he still was good enough at that time to get a look, but who knows how hard it was for him to get there as well. Yeah, and, th- and things like now with Pro Bowl, like analytically, it's different, you know? Um, Very true. People always thought, oh, you got to be tall to get down the mound. Like release height is like, it matters, but it doesn't matter at all. It matters how well you use your release height. Like right. my release height's really low. And like a lot of people are like, oh, he doesn't throw from a high enough arm slot. But that's what makes me like special in a sense. My fastball and all my stuff special is because my release height's so low. Like you got to like, you had a guy like LJ Newsom with us. His, I think his release height's like four foot 10 and he throws over the top. Like it's absurd. So like when he throws up, the ball literally looks like it's rising. Like that makes him unique. You know, yeah. people would have been like, oh, you know, some college coach is probably like, oh, I don't know. This guy doesn't walk anybody ever. Like, since he's been in Pro Bowl, he's had the lowest walks per nine. Like, <laughs> anyone in the 27th round or 25th round when he got drafted out of high school, like, that's a steal. Yeah. You, you know, and it's funny that you bring that up because a lot of people talk about when they talk about positionless, that you is mostly about basketball, right? Like, the Warriors, your Bay Area guy, Warriors positionless basketball that's where we're headed but obviously not well even kind of um you know like an Austin Martin even defensively but I'm more so talking about offensively you know and I'm gonna I'm gonna say this it, even though I'm gonna sound really old I sit there and I think as a five eight five nine guy who had I feel like a little bit of pop but didn't have those home run numbers it was swing path you know I was there to hit line drives hit hard ground balls. I was left-handed, so six hole. Nowadays, you see a bunch of 5'8 to 5'10 guys, even at South Carolina, you know, drop in 5'10 bombs a year because when it's a 2-0 count, get that swing path right and and do what you got to do versus, oh, you're our leadoff guy. Get a base hit. You know, I feel like that's where we're heading in baseball as well. It's just, look, whatever you can do, just do it the best you can on top of the whole swing path thing there's no there's no more you're the leadoff guy you need to be able to to bunt or you're the two guy you need to be able to sack bunt I just feel like we're I mean isn't like wasn't Rizzo leading off for the Cubs I mean it's just it's a whole new world honestly you got some here no I was saying Schwarber actually hit leadoff for the Cubs well, Rizzo was like two or something yeah, yeah no and like yeah, the best hitter hits crazy. two now yeah yeah, I don't know. When I played the Cubs this year, their lineup was Chris Bryant leading off, then Rizzo, then Bias. Didn't you face them in yeah, spring that was training? Yeah, that was their one, two, three. It went uh, Bryant, Rizzo, Bias, Hayward, Contreras, Kipnis? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. How is that? How is that? Like, I mean, I'm assuming I, my heart would just be beating the fuck out of my chest. Like, how was we just go off track for a while like yeah like it was uh go into your let's go into let's go into your mind here yeah that was so you know they say you get caught with your pants down yeah i literally got caught going in that game with my pants down so i wasn't expecting to go in the third the third inning and uh you gotta love that (laughs) we had uh cody so we're kendall grayman started that game and cody anderson was gonna piggyback him so i'm sitting there like i kind of stretched for a second so Cody Anderson starts throwing. I'm like, okay, I got time. I got to use the bathroom. So I go in there and I hear banging on the door and it's our pitching coach, bullpen coach, Brian DeLuis. He goes, don't play near in the game. I'm like, 
like what like i only like went in there i haven't even wiped yet yeah <laughs> literally solely because <laughs> cody anderson was warming up i'm like oh shit i just start chucking balls like i'm like oh my gosh like here we go so then i get in the game and there's like twelve thousand people it's a day game it's super loud i'm like I'm like warming up. I'm like, let me get, I was like, I got top, right? He goes, yeah. He goes, yeah. Bryant Rizzo bias. I'm like, <laughs> those I, names, like, those guys, those guys. Yeah. So I throw a first pitch fastball by Bryant swings and misses. And I throw another one foul tips it a little late. Then I throw a fastball up and then I hang a slider and I was so mad. Cause if I would've got that down, I punched him out. I was, I was not happy. And so he flies out to left. And then the fuck the wheels well, fall. That off. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so I walk I walk Rizzo on like four pitches. I walk Bios on six. And I got him to swing and miss at two sliders. I was I was like pumped about that. I was like, okay, here we go. And then I yeah. then I uh, went three oh to Hayward. And uh then I walked him. I got him to three two, then I walked him. So then I walked the bases load. I'm like, okay, this is just great. This is this is not fun. Exactly so, how I drew it up. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Then I get a mound visit. Then I threw a Contreras five straight sliders, uh, punched him out, and then I got Kipnis to fly out to second base on a one-two slider. Like after that, right. I so you just shoved. I got out of it, but I was like, "Oh, this would have been so cool if I just would have gone and punched out the slider, like got him three up, three down against these guys." But I mean, it was cool, man. But like that's like another thing where it's like the same game where like I did what I did best against Brian. I had him O two, and then right. fast up and like I set him up for a slider and I just hung it. And, you know, I was, he flew out. I was like, he didn't hit it out at the same time, you know, so. Dude, yeah, that's the crazy thing about it. Like, you fucking you, – you throw strikes, you you just get out. Like, that's that's the crazy thing about it, like how you can preach that. But yet it's hard. It's yeah. it's still really hard. It's, still it's, really it's so hard. simple, but, like, it's easier said than done. Like, if you get ahead, it's, it makes baseball so much easier. It makes right. so hard so much easier. There are well, you, quality strikes, though. Versus well, yeah, strikes. yeah, yeah, obviously. Uh, listen, hitter. I mean, like, I mean, you just walk around, <laughs> just throw strikes, just throw strikes. I mean, there's I love that. Strikes. I love the, uh, I mean, that's another, you want to talk about Sam, you talked about like college recruiters, you know, they want to, uh, they want to get the credit. Like I developed this, this guy, you know, he was nothing without me, but like, yeah, you want to talk about that. I love the, uh, like the positive talk of, you know you're struggling it's like come on man just throw some strikes out there like oh no way like no shit like, huh? trying, like yeah i'm trying to walk everybody you're right i forgot yeah, how no to wow you just cracked the code <laughs> no i really appreciate it uh, no you you made it really easy to transition into this um you're talking about you know doing what you do best and obviously you had you know a great career at at eastern michigan but you were a starter there like you're you're the best pitcher on the team friday guy like you're expected to go seven innings only one year only but, one year yeah so the the year that mattered uh you were expected to go seven innings drafted as a reliever you're you know one two inning guy just comes in throws 95 with you know one of the best sliders and and all maybe not even just minor league baseball maybe all of baseball because every time that i i I've talked to you this is like, oh, yeah, punched out two in one inning. I uh, got the other guy to broke his bat. 
so like that that's pretty much how a lot of our conversations went about like how you did the transition was easier than i i had ever seen you know maybe you and colin cober who's you know i, I he might be in modesto now um but you two were obviously stood out obviously you 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 throw harder with your slider go into how the transition was going from college to pro ball and and how you made it you know a smooth transition because i'm sure in your mind it obviously was not easy like no on the it, outside looking in it was so go into that transition and just how you how you shifted and how you just had success immediately yeah you know it is a lot different um but you know it really came down to just you know believing in myself and confidence like thinking you know i was here for a reason and you know it kind of goes back to just kind of everything like recruiting like I, no one wanted me no one like college always got the short end of the stick i always put up you know decent numbers pitching wise and you know never got any love and then you know i did all this i pitched good in summer ball and never got drafted until my senior year and i pitched good then and then like even then like the draft days like people were calling me to go you know in the eighth the ninth the tenth and then i fall all the way to the 23rd so it's kind of just having that chip on my shoulder like i had something to prove but it made it easier like okay i'm here now but I want to be, I don't want to be just the senior sign, the 23rd rounder. Like I want to be a dude. So it's kind of like, you know, just maybe it was false confidence at the time because, you know, the transition was hard, but, you know, just trying to not do too much and just, you know, attack guys and, you know, pound the zone. Like really, I it sounds stupid because I'm, you know, making it seem like it was so basic, but that's, that's really what it was. You know, these hitters are good. And when you start walking guys and, you know, getting behind, you'll see how good they are because they know what's coming. If you fall too low and you give them a fastball, they're not going to miss it because, you know, even like at that level, they're paying guys millions of dollars in the first couple rounds to hit fastballs. And then you get to, you know, when I was in, in big league camp, like, you know, I gave a bomb to hundred pence in spring training on a fastball. I'm like, oh man, that sucks. It's a good fastball. But at the same time, I'm thinking this guy retired from baseball and they brought, and he said, no, I'm still good at hitting fastballs. So I'm going to come back. And they're paying him like $12 million to hit fastballs. So like, you know, I know it's kind of like just a, a rant of all rants, but. No, it's awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, this the, shit. the transition really is like, if you, if you don't believe in yourself, you're going to go nowhere. Whether that's in college, if you don't think like, if you're, you have to be real with yourself at the same time. If you're on a pitching staff in college and you don't have Friday guy stuff and you're like, I want to be the Friday guy. And you, you have a potential second rounder as a Friday guy, first rounder, then, you know, you probably need to be like, okay, you know, that guy's going to be there. I might not be there this year, but maybe next year I'll be there. I need to be the setup man or the first out guy, like being the, the cleanup guy, not like you never want to settle for the mop up guy, obviously. But if you are the mop up guy, you need the best, you need to be the best mop up guy you can be. Because if those, those endings matter. If you're going to be a mop-up guy, then you start pitching good as a mop-up guy. You're not going to be the mop-up guy for much longer. Did you just drop a, a street sweeper on us? Was that I did not like drop a, a street sweeper. Was that, was, that a, was that an MLK street sweeper? No, uh, that might have been, but it wasn't. On, on, on you? <laughs> oh, man, I love that. That's the, the Carson special. Yeah, but get... it, it really is. Like, if you're not satisfied with where you are, be better. Like, and it's, it comes down to you. Like, you, like if you're a pitcher, you're a hitter, you're your own best pitching and hitting coach because you're the one swinging the bat, you're the one doing the movement. And if you're not putting the work, you got no one playing but yourself. Yeah, no. Uh, and I always go back to – and we'll – we can end with talking about the lower levels in the, of the minors and just, like, how, how crazy they are because we had a full episode last week just 
about, you know, the future of, of minor league baseball and all that stuff. Um, but I mean, I always think to a guy like Chris Castellanos, like when we were in the AZL, you know, grinding it out every day in, you know, 125 degree weather, but like a guy like that, obviously his physical tools, let's, let's call a spade a spade. They're, they're not very good at all. Like slow arm with, you know, throwing 81, but the guy like true, like that's how strong the mental game is. The guy dominated the AZL. Like oh, was, he, he was the best pitcher four guys in everyone on our team. Yeah. He was, he was the far. best pitcher in the whole league. I'll never forget. We were playing the Indians extra inning game and he punched out nine guys straight and he threw two innings straight of just changeups at 75. He didn't throw yeah, a fastball for just two throwing changeups. Yeah. That's breaking all out he professional was hitters with 75 mile an hour changeups for two innings straight. And it's just, he believed that he was, and it's not like his change, his changeup was great. Everyone swung yeah. and missed at it. It's not like it graded out. Like it was like Johan Santana or, or someone like that. He just believed that it was that no one can hit it. Yeah, so, he did. He threw and strikes. He just so threw strikes. I think he struck out 60 and walked like four, maybe, in like yeah. 35 innings. So, like, that's, that's how strong, like, belief is in yourself. And it's, like, it's so hard to convey. It's so hard. You're thinking, like, oh, shit, you know, that's eyewash. But when you're convicted and, and doing stuff the right way, obviously you have to have the right work ethic and doing the right stuff off the field. But – when you're convicted and, and you're confident in your preparation and you're a guy that, that puts in that proper preparation, um, you know, it, it, there's really no limit to how, how good you can possibly grow. Obviously you can't, you know, there are some that can't be, you know, Max Scherzer whatsoever, but there really isn't a limit as to how better you can keep getting um, because you believe you're just good at baseball. Yeah. And then going back to just one thing without the conviction, you know, one thing I learned, and that's, you know, one thing that's, it's crazy, but 88 with conviction, throwing a pitch at 88 with conviction is so much better than throwing 91. Same pitch, same location, 88 with conviction and 91 with no conviction, total different. Take the 88 with conviction 10 days, 10 out of 10 times every day of the week. It's is that even difference. explainable? Like, can you, ex can we ex even explain that? Like, that's just, yeah, if you're I throwing just... a pitch with max focus and max intent, in terms, I know some guys don't throw 100%, but if, like, your max intent is 90% and you're, like, showing the hitter that you're aggressively coming at them and, like, here it is, like, there versus, like, okay, I got to get this fastball in there, like, it's a difference. You know, there's a huge difference in that. Like, it's kind of up to the person throwing the ball to decide what that is for themselves. But for me, it's, you know, I'm, I'm taking that ball, whether it's a fastball or slider, like, my plan is to throw this ball by you. I'm not trying to throw a slider to make a guy swing and miss above it, I'm trying to throw a slider by them, like blow them up. Like I'm trying to throw a hundred mile an hour slider, which, you know, it's not going to happen, but that's like, that's how I keep conviction in all my pitches. Hell yeah. Fucking <laughs> fires me. <laughs> no, that fucking fires me up. I love that shit. Uh, oh man. Al, you got, uh, you got any final, uh, any final questions for, for our wonderful guest here? Um, not too much. I think Orlando kind of alluded to it. H how do you feel? I have my feelings, but how do you feel as someone who went when you did in the draft? How do you feel about the future of the minor leagues and the draft? And yeah, pr pretty much what, what do you think 
is going to happen? Do you think it's a positive? Do you think it's a negative? And obviously it's a interesting question for someone like you who came from, I know they are saying maybe 20 rounds next year. So there wouldn't have been a 23rd. Yeah. If I had to take a guess, I'm pretty sure it's certain. We're not going to see a draft past 20 rounds. Um, don't quote me on that. Just kind of with the way stuff's changing, that seems like it's the way it's going to be. Um, and, you know, there's, there's positives and negatives, you know, um, you know, the reality of the truth is some teams take guys just for roster fillers. They're going to keep them there for those, you know, that first short season, just to protect guys. They take higher up everywhere does it, you know, and those guys aren't going to get an opportunity anymore. But at the same time, like some of those guys panned out to be guys. So they stuck around, but at the same time, you know, for some of them, like, you know, they're keeping them to abuse them for that. And then they're done. We're like essentially looking back, like obviously they all love the opportunity. Some guys it might be better for them, you know, to go to indie ball and like actually prove themselves and find the right org for them in that sense. Um, obviously, you know, I think there's more negatives than positives of doing that. Um, shortening, you know, getting rid of some minor league teams. That's a tough one for me to comment on in a sense, because I played in some of these places. And when you talk about like towns, you don't want to, you know, live in and the facilities there and a lot of it, like, they're like, Oh, well, fans are going to come here. Like, yes, but some places the fans never show up anyways, no matter how good you are, you get like 45 people in the stands. It's, it's true. Like, it, it sucks. You know, like at the same time, like these teams that are, some of these teams are on these lists. Like if you were selling out, 5,000, 6,000 and had top of the line facilities, you wouldn't be on the list. I said the exact same thing. You like, wouldn't be on the list. I said that obviously it's important to a local economy and a lot of these local economies. It's true that, that some of these teams, they just don't draw shit anyway. Yeah. So like that, I mean, that's an excellent point. But what I like have actually realized honestly I didn't even say this last week when we had talked about it but I just think the game is going to get a whole lot more diverse because if you're going to eliminate sectors of the minor leagues let's say you, you just have high a double a triple a and you have 20 rounds so you have your whatever you're going to keep let's say five six of those guys in Arizona, just training them, just getting them bigger, stronger, yeah. whatever, especially if it's a high school kid, probably not, especially if it's a pitcher, probably not going to pitch until, you know, maybe year two um, or, or like, you know, after you get drafted the year after you get drafted. So I think that they're going to, and, and that means that they're going to be able to pay minor leaguers a lot of money or not a lot of money, but they're going to be able to pay them, you know, a decent salary. So do you think that they're actually like going to start signing guys, you know, and I was telling Alan this in the pre-show, do you think they're going to start signing guys in Korea, start signing guys, you know, in Australia, um, Japan, whatever, bringing them in the minor league system, developing them there and, and being able to pay them more. And obviously, you know, you have your Latin American academies and stuff. So do you think the minor leagues are going to become a little bit more diverse or how do you like envision the future of the minor leagues with, you know, uh, elimination of, of teams. Yeah. I never thought about that, but now that you say that I could see that happening for sure. Um, huge brain. Yeah. Huge, yeah brain. huge brain, ginormous IQ. Um, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely an option, but at the same time it comes down to the org. Like 
you know, if you're in Oregon, you want to do quality over quantity and have like the perfect amount of guys for each team and make sure and like make sure your nutrition is great and everything and the instruction for the hands-on to develop them that way, then that's what they're going to do. If you're going to be a team that just wants quantity, like we're going to get all these guys and hope some of them pan out, like the more the merrier and we'll just kind of pick and choose. That's also a strategy. It kind of all depends. Like, you know, I think like when you talk about, you know, getting guys from Japan, from my understanding, a lot of the Japanese guys, they like to stay on the West Coast, you know, so I think it's going to be harder for some of those East East Coast teams to get the Japanese and Korean players, you know, because just kind of it's kind of what they said, like the Mariners, a lot of Japanese players come to the Mariners or they go to New York, like, you know, they go to these big cities near the water where there's, you know, a lot of, you know, Asian culture and Asian population, you know, so mm-hmm. it kind of it's kind of different that way. Um, but I could definitely see it going that way. Um, I see it more as I think the development because of it is going to get better because there's going to be less people and more coaches. It's going to be a little more hands-on. And I think they're going to be able to give more guys the attention that they need, which I think is a positive of the cutting back. But I think like the negatives just for the opportunities for guys to, you know, live their dream. Like, you know, if this happened three years ago, I'm not drafted. Brian Paul's not drafted is on your show. A lot of guys aren't, you know, so it, yeah, you know, there's obviously net positives and negatives that come with it. But, you know, if I'm a GM and I'm an owner, I'm like, okay, yeah, I can spend less and, you know, develop more and probably get better hands-on. I'll probably, the development probably will get better in all honesty. But then if you're on the player side, if you're in college, you're like, my chances of getting drafted literally just got cut in half. Right. Right. Like literally cut, cut in half. So. Right. Do you think that, so you kind of talked about it. So do you think it would be possible that certain teams will, and I guess it's kind of happening already, Orlando, because like you said, not every team has a team at every level. There's like seven levels altogether, but not every team has seven levels. So are you right. saying that it could be a situation where one team only has double A AA and triple A, but another team has single A, double AA, A, triple A, and they play other teams that also have single A teams? Is that possible? Yeah, I mean, you kind of see that they have like an advanced rookie league, the Appalachian League, and the Pioneer League. I know the Mariners don't have a team there. So we like, went over, we went over literally oh, yeah, yeah. each level of yeah. the minor leagues. Yeah, last, so like they don't have that. Week. Like when we were in the AZL, the Padres had two teams. I think the Giants yeah. also had two teams. Like we only had yeah, one. So, like I said, it's kind of what whatever that org wants to do. They're Padres do. too, scrappy yeah. bunch. Yeah, Padres too, man. Padres too, Mackenzie Nine Gore. Teams. Mackenzie yeah. Gore, and then they that second baseman they traded the Royals. I can't remember his name. Like the fastest the sh- human being on the planet. Well, they also had the shortstop too, number seven. I don't I don't know his name. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I just know him as number seven, and like he was, I was like, oh, guy got paid like four point five. You know, like yeah, <laughs> every was, single time. That was a team of like all the like young prospects. So you had no idea what you were getting that game. These guys were gonna go zero for four and punch out three times or they were going to get hot and you're like, I can't get anybody on this team out right now. Like this is terrible. Like <laughs> it was, they were a crazy team, that team. Yeah. Mackenzie Gore started against us. And like, if he would have went the distance, no hitter. Like easily. Easily. <laughs> easily. It was, the, it was the easiest two innings I've ever seen anyone pitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh man. But uh, no, I, I think we we went over everything uh, that that I wanted to. I, I wanted to touch on on obviously, you know that 
the shrinking of the minor leagues just because, you know, you are, you're a 23rd rounder. I'm 16th mm-hmm. rounder. Like we said, friend of the show, Brian Paul, um, you know, he's what, 25. So yeah, I, think. I mean, our whole, our whole room basically uh, would not have been a room yeah. that, w- that we had. Um, so that you, you have like almost like a conflict of interest where you're like, what's really right. And what's, you know, uh, you're feeling for, for the people that you've played with and, and your buddies mm-hmm. and, and your boys. Um, but I think we can all agree that probably don't need eight levels of the minor leagues, seven levels of the minor leagues. No. I think we can all, we can I, all agree on that. I was just thinking about this. Like if you didn't know it was major league baseball and we weren't used to the system, if you close your eyes and someone explained to you that there was this league with eight levels <laughs> and draft 40 rounds worth of people a year when there's only one team per, you know, one roster per 30 teams, people would look like, we would all say that sounds ridiculous, but it's yeah, made baseball. We're just used to it. That's what makes being a big league is so special is because you, right. right. you got through all that stuff. You had to right. outperform so many people to get to where if you're like, think about this way. If you're, if you're a reliever in the big leagues, right, there's 30 teams, there's eight relievers. It's 240 people. You are one of the 240 best pitchers on the planet at that moment in time. Yes. I remember Andy used to say that all the time. That used to like kind of fire me up every time. It's true though. It. It's true. It, it's very true. It's true. I, and because I if, do... if you were, if you were, if you were, and you're one on a roster, somebody's going to trade for you to put you on their roster. Sure. I, true. I do. I do think. The, the biggest argument in all of this, though, would be for pitchers because pitchers are kind of always the wild card. You can find something or you can, you know, just figure something out. So I, I do think and you can correct me if I'm wrong. When we're talking about not just getting a cup of coffee, though, when you're talking about really significant careers, for the most part, I mean, the numbers literally say after the 20th round, 7 percent of like anyone drafted make it to the big leagues so uh, but i do think out of that seven most of them are probably pitchers to be honest yeah i mean you have your you know kevin kevin i think it was kevin pilar i think you're right yeah i was gonna say kevin millar because i watch potential no you're right i knew i was gonna mess it up (laughs) yeah no you're right you're right but yeah i think they could be related csu dominguez hills d2 i bet you half the people listening to this podcast don't even know that csu dominguez hills even existed right compton It's like, in Dominguez Hills. Yeah. Well, I think that's like pretty close, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's proximity. Um, oh man. But wow. Yeah, no, this has been, uh, I've actually learned a lot. I think that I, I just keep thinking about the beginning when you're talking about like the protocols of, of bringing, you know, on the baseballs and, and can't have your own water and stuff like that. But no, I mean, I've just learned a ton. Obviously, you know, we're, uh, we've kept in touch, um, you know, this whole time. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Um, and, and you're free to come on at any time. Yeah. You, actually, the week that you get called up, I think that you have to make a promise to us <laughs> yeah, go, that, that you'll come on, I'll come on. that week that you get the call to the show. That's done. Yeah. Deal. Done, <laughs> done. deal. Thanks. Right. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. I just wanted to say, you know, thanks for your insightfulness. Obviously me and Orlando, we have our, 
you know, ideas and opinions, but to have somebody on the show that, you know, is obviously still, still playing it and with this, the taxi squad right now. So to have kind of your take on everything, I think is super refreshing. Um, so I just wanted to say, appreciate you for coming on and, and keeping it 1000. No, of course. Yeah. If I could just say like one closing comment to kids who aren't, you know, committed to colleges um, that listen to this, Make sure you have good grades because if you have good grades, that means you're eligible for every college. And don't be afraid, you know, of those mid-major conferences like I was in the MAC, like those other conferences. It's still good baseball. You still yes, play good teams. We played ACC, SEC, all that stuff. It's good baseball. If you're good, they will find you, and you will get an opportunity. So don't especially get now on big schools. Especially now, it doesn't matter. If you're good, scouting is so much better than it was 10 years ago. If you're good, they will find you. Drops Boom. mic. Boom. See ya. See ya, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, All Sam. Right. Yeah, appreciate the time, Sam. Yeah, of course. Thank you so That's much. It. Yeah. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.